When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I want to give you all a quick update. I do my best to be as accurate as possible in this podcast, and part of that is following a lot of people who are smarter than I am. In this episode, I talk at good length about the Shohei Otani contract, in particular the money the Dodgers are deferring and how that deferred money impacts their luxury tax hit. I cite John Becker in the piece because John is a tremendous follow for topics like this one, only I found out this morning he had an error in his calculations that he has since updated. The concepts and the logic I lay out in this episode are correct, but the updated math leaves LA with a luxury tax hit closer to the $42 million per year that Jeff Passan had estimated rather than the $60 million I cited from John in the episode. You have my apologies for the incorrect information. I've already updated the show notes to reflect the update and provide the link to the updated Twitter thread about the correct math. Now on to the show. Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is now part of the Bleacher Bunch Productions group, joining great shows like the Sun Ranto Show and Cup of Cubby Blue. For the remainder of this calendar year, the podcast will post on my feed, the Bleacher Bunch podcast feed, and my Patreon page. Starting in January, Cubs PS Plus will be found exclusively in the Bleacher Bunch production feed and my Patreon feed at cubspsplus.patreon.com, where you can support the show and always find ad-free episodes along with other benefits for as little as a dollar a month. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter, or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Love the pod or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Welcome into episode 62, the Nick Martini episode of this podcast. Martini was a Crystal Lake native who wore number 62 when he played for the Cubs in 2021. Why Nick Martini? Because Shohei Otani just signed with the Dodgers today on a $700 million contract, and I need a drink. It's been a wild week of fake reports, flight trackers, erroneous reports made in good faith, and a whole lot of rumors as the world waited for Shohei Otani to sign. Now that he's made up his mind that we'll be staying in LA, I talk about his contract, what the deferred money means in terms of luxury tax hit, and then get into the so what of it all. What does it mean for the Cubs? Where do they pivot next? Let's dive in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. All week I've thought about what I was going to record. For the first four or five days of the week, I was thinking this is, was going to be like the Seinfeld episode of my podcast. It was going to be the show about nothing. With Shohei Otani, 
waiting and waiting and, and fairly so, right? Like he doesn't have to work on anybody's schedule but his own. But with him unsigned, the top of the market was frozen. There were some smaller trades made. There were some lower tier guys who signed with new teams. Probably the most, probably the biggest signing so far of the offseason before today, now that Otani has signed, was Sonny Gray going to the Cardinals. Tons and tons of guys were still available, really just waiting to see what their markets were going to be. Whether you're trading a guy as Tampa has been rumored to be trying to trade Tyler Glasnow or your Cody Bellinger or Yoshinobu Yamamoto. You know, those guys want to hold and see what their market is. Are the Cubs in? Are the Dodgers in? Are the Yankees in? Mets, whoever. And all those teams that were holding and waiting to see if they would get Shohei Otani, obviously their budgets had big question marks until Otani picked a team. And today, uh, by the time you're listening to this, you already know, so I'm not breaking news here, Shohei Otani did pick the Los Angeles Dodgers. One thing I want to talk about today is that contract itself. It's an interesting contract. I had the wrong impression when I first read about it. I did some research and learned a few things today. I'll share some helpful links in the show notes. But, excuse me, but as as you saw, Shohei Otani signed a 10-year, $700 million contract with the Dodgers. Yep, 10 years, $700 million. It's amazing. Before he hurt his elbow, everybody was talking about, man, he's going to get close to half a billion dollars or he's going to get half a billion dollars. And then at first there was some question about whether or not maybe that money would back up a little bit because he's not going to be able to pitch in 2024. But it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that a number of teams were going to be in. They're really high dollar amounts. We'll find out in the coming days maybe what the how far in the Cubs were. Per a John Heyman report, the Cubs were not in the final three. Although as we've seen the last 24, 48 hours, I don't know how many of those reports I actually believe. But the Cubs were first reported out maybe a week a week ago, saying that they were out at $500 million. So that that in and of itself means the Cubs offered a contract worth $500 million, which I think is well beyond what a lot of people thought the Cubs would maybe ever spend on a player. Now today I've seen some other speculation that the Cubs actually got up right around the $600 million mark. I saw one that said the Cubs offered five seventy five with incentives that would push it over six hundred. I've heard they offered six hundred. It wouldn't surprise me if the Cubs got in that ballpark and then once it crossed the six hundred million dollar threshold, maybe they backed out. Um, if John Heyman's information is correct, the obviously the Dodgers were the winner, and the other finalists were Toronto, where all the smoke was the last few days, and the Los Angeles Angels. It would make sense for them to want to keep him, although. I mean, I'm sure they wanted to keep him, but as much stock as he put on winning. And then one of the big things about this contract is we haven't seen the breakdowns yet. It's all still getting finalized, but supposedly, quote, more than half of the money or the majority of the money is being deferred. And what that means is a certain chunk of that money is going to be deferred and paid to Shohei Otani over some period of time after the contract expires. And this is fairly common. This is why every year we have Bobby Bonilla Day with the New York Mets. This is why Max Scherzer is going to get $15 million a year from the Washington Nationals until like 2032. Lots of guys have this money deferred. Jason Hayward basically deferred his signing bonus for $20 million. So from 2024 to 2027, the Cubs are paying him $5 million a year for that signing bonus. That money does not count against the competitive balance tax at any point. 
where I was mistaken when I first read that today, I thought that's insane. They're going to defer more than half that contract. I thought that meant that they were going to be able to take that amount of money, set it aside. So it didn't hit against the competitive balance tax and then take the tax hit on the rest of the money. So hypothetically, and I'm going to use a thread from John Becker that I've linked on Twitter. I will share in the notes here. He walks through the math on how the deferred money works there's another link I'll also share from pitchlist.com. They did a really good walk, really good in-depth walkthrough of the competitive balance tax structure, how deferrals work, how incentives factor in. Between those two sources and Jeff Passan, I'll also link his tweet. I've seen that go around on Twitter. He did a kind of a two-paragraph summary of all of the other stuff to kind of explain how it works. But they don't just get to set that aside. So if we assume for sake of argument that the Dodgers are going to defer $400 million of the $700 million that Shohei is owed, Shohei Otani is going to get paid $700 million U.S. million eventually. But he was willing to set that money aside in order to reduce the competitive balance tax on the Dodgers so that they could have a little bit more freedom in adding more people to the roster. The way I read that at first was that the if they deferred four hundred million dollars, that's good, that gets set to the side, leaving three hundred million dollars spread over ten years for an average annual value of the contract of thirty million dollars a year, essentially getting Shohei Otani for a seven hundred million dollar contract on the basically the arbitration figure he played under this year. That's not how that works. That would be, I mean, that's basically money laundering at that point. It's hiding all that value to not ever pay the tax on it. What really happens is there's a calculation in this um, collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners that lays out for deferred money, you have to factor that into the total value of the contract, but you depreciate 5% per year based on when that money is going to be paid. So in a nutshell, what John Becker walks through, and it'd be helpful to go see it for yourself, sees a... For the last $400 million, if, if that is what's deferred, basically Shohei Otani, in, in terms of today's dollars, would effectively get paid $309,000 or $309 million instead of the $400 million. He will still get paid the $400 million. What that's doing is it's factoring in inflation. And basically, the money he will make in the future is theoretically due to inflation worth less in terms of buying power than that same money today. So what that does, he runs through all the calculations. And if you assume a consistent deferral, you know, consistent rate and all those types of things on 400 million deferred dollars, it basically amounts to taking that $309 million total, adding it to the 300 million that they would be paying him over the course of the 10 years of the guaranteed contract. And it would result in a CBT or luxury tax hit of, about $61 million. Now there's some play in the math. He does have some assumptions in there and he points those out. So the math isn't perfect, but it's, it's pretty close. It's going to be really hard for them to get much under depending on what they defer. I mean, they're based on the way he walked through the math. I, I think they'd have a hard time getting under $55 million a year per, for the CBT for Shohei Otani. So that is helpful. And one of the reasons in pitcher list, dot com or pitchlist.com maps this out. One of the reasons you do that is basically it gives ownership 
additional flexibility. So you take a smaller hit against the average annual value on that contract. So the Dodgers don't have to take the seven million or seventy million dollars per year hit they would just at seven hundred million over ten years with no deferral. But you can't game the system so much that you can basically make that contract effectively worth half of what it was. So hopefully you found that interesting. There are, again, some more places I will link in the show notes to go read. I thought it was interesting. And it's an interesting strategy, but you know it has to work in the margins. So you have to have a player who wants to take that deferral. A lot of people just want their money up front and don't want to defer a bunch of that. Deferring some money I don't think is that big of a deal. I think you know players would probably like to have some continued income once they retire. But deferring $400 million and effectively taking, effectively losing almost a quarter of it to inflation because you're deferring so much of it over such a long length of time, you know, that's, and in some cases, you know, a lot of teams, if you're not going over the luxury tax threshold anyway, then it doesn't even really matter. Maybe it keeps you under, but again, most of the time when deferrals happen, it's not that much. I mean, the... I hate to say $20 million is not much, but when Jason Hayward deferred that money, you know, on a $184 million contract, it's $20 million that he's deferring. So he gets four additional payments of $5 million per year spread over time. You know, you're going to lose some money to that, but it's, it's not $400 million being deferred. So what does that mean? So the, the last two days were absolute insanity. If you were following it on social media, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If not, I'll kind of recap. It was wildly chaotic. It was it took a number of fan bases through some real emotional highs and lows. Really was on a roller coaster. And all of it came out of nothing. That's why I was going to go with the Seinfeld theme before the episode about nothing because so much is happening. You know, so there was a lot of smoke about the Blue Jays over the last few days. You know, there were reports of teams being in and falling out. The general consensus over the last week has been the Dodgers were still the favorite. The Blue Jays were in the mix. Nobody knew about the Giants, whether they were in or out, but people suspected they were. The Angels were noted to be in it. The Cubs were noted to be in it. And a couple times throughout the week, somebody would report that the Angels were out or the Cubs were out. And then there would be a follow-up saying that, no, that's not true. And this is all coming, you know, a lot of good baseball writers out there, a lot of people working really hard, working their contacts, working the phones, trying to get any information when there is none to be had. Shohei Otani said he wanted this process to be private, and he lived up to it. Things were quiet on his side. There were very few leaks from any of the teams. Probably the biggest, quote, leak was Dave Roberts talked to great length, pretty comfortably about how Shohei Otani was their top target. He felt pretty comfortable about getting them. He talked about having Shohei into the facility. And per reports, at the end of that press conference, all of a sudden, Dave Roberts' face gets a lot more serious. He's looking at his phone. And then his GM is talking about how you know those comments really shouldn't have been made. They're not going to talk about players that they're interested in, blah, blah, blah. Shohei's camp had said that, you know, breaches of privacy, like, not necessarily like that, because obviously that one didn't hurt them, but breaches of privacy could be held or would be held against the teams that did them. And who knows if that was the case? I mean, maybe it means, maybe that's part of the reason why Shohei's price went up way beyond what people were expecting. You know, I think when this process started, kind of $500 million over 10-ish years was kind of the, 
I think the targeted table stakes. I think everybody thought he was going to get at least that. There was talk of 550. Hey, maybe it's pushing to 600. I did not see 700 million coming. It doesn't entirely shock me with what we've seen over the last few years, but I did not think it would get that high. But so the last couple of days, there was a lot of smoke about the Blue Jays. And then all of a sudden, yesterday on, on Friday, Friday morning, there were reports, especially from John Morosi, came out and said that there was a private plane taking off from, I think, the Santa Ana Airport. I think that's the Anaheim Airport flying to Toronto, reportedly a jet that Otani has used before. And all signs at that moment were pointing to Shohei Otani going to Toronto. Now, at the time, everybody assumed he was going to Toronto to decide to sign the contract, to have a press conference, whatever. And that became kind of the consensus view yesterday. However, if you really look throughout the day, there was a lot of talk about that plane and it got a little bit crazy. But in addition to the talk about the plane, there were also a number of reports out there saying that the decision had not been made, that I think even John Morosi had expected a decision to be made by Sunday. So even as he's reportedly flying to Toronto, no decision has been made, no contract has been signed, no deal has been agreed to. And at that point, you know, you've kind of, and I say this not so much now to analyze what's going to happen with Otani, although that was going to be my, kind of my, my spin before he actually signed today. But these are the kinds of things I think to keep in mind as you watch headlines and rumors and tweets about other, about other big stars, you know, Yamamoto, Cody Bellinger, other guys that are going to be signed. Kind of look at the totality and figure out like who you're comfortable trusting. So there can be reports out that so-and-so is happening from anywhere. There are tons of accounts tweeting things that I, I don't know the account. I have no idea if they have credibility. Going back to the Jose Quintana trade in 2017, that trade wasn't broken by Ken Rosenthal or Jeff Passan or John Morosi. That trade was originally broken by Katy Perry's booty hole and wet butt 23. So that was a case where two, you know, two whatever accounts. I to this day, I think I've, I think at one point somebody had done a story on one of the Twitter accounts, but didn't know who they were. Like somebody, somebody knew somebody and heard something and tweeted it. Turned out to be true. Sometimes that's just people throwing stuff against the wall. Sometimes it's somebody who is not a baseball person who just hears info and goes. But they're also, you know, for every one of those that hit, there are a hundred that are just troll accounts, bots, whatever, just trying to generate stuff for clicks. And so when I'm watching that stuff, I really try to stick to the baseball writers. And I know that they're different writers of different reputations. I think most of the big national people are pretty solid. John Morosi got it wrong yesterday. Absolutely got it wrong. And, and he, you know, tweeted as such. He, he didn't, he was a pro about it. He didn't take his tweets down. He tweeted an apology and said that he got the story wrong. And that, that happens sometimes. I think everybody gets it wrong sometimes. So it was good to see that. But as you're walking through this, you know, kind of piece the pieces together. So even if he was flying to Toronto, he was going there without a deal signed, without still any real timeline expected for when he was going to make the decision. So if you hear some combination of facts like that, like Cody Bellinger is going to San Francisco it may mean that he's going there to sign a contract, make an announcement. He might be going there to do final negotiations with Scott Boris on a contract, or he might be going there on a visit. You know, had Shohei Otani actually traveled to Toronto yesterday, he could have been doing it to be to take one visit to the Toronto facilities, 
sit down with their ownership and their management and talk things through. And it could have been that, you know, he was going to go somewhere else on Saturday and maybe somewhere else on Sunday, pull everything together and maybe make a decision later. As it turns out, later in the afternoon, John Heyman and Bob Nightingale wound up reporting that he's not flying anywhere. And it turned out it was Robert Herkovec's plane, Robert Herkovec of Shark Tank and a lot of tech, you know, tech companies in his background, information security type stuff that, you know, he's built his fame on. But it was not Shohei Otani. And so he was at home. He didn't travel anywhere. And so yesterday, fan bases were going nuts. Obviously, the Blue Jays fan bases were soaring. They were sure they had Shohei Otani and that the Blue Jays just pulled off this coup that the Dodgers, you know, who had been such heavy favorites to get him, didn't get him and he was going to Toronto. And I saw Cubs fans in absolute shambles. I mean, people were tweeting that, you know, what an awful thing that was and how cheap the Ricketts are and what a bad president of baseball operations Jed Hoyer is and people should be fired and we're never going to sign anybody. And then as soon as it was reported that Shohei was not on that plane, did not go to Toronto, had no decision. All of a sudden now people are thinking, oh, something changed and now Toronto's out and maybe the Cubs chances just went up. Well, the reality is nothing happened. Nothing. I mean, Shohei's thinking about stuff. Shohei still had whatever he did with his Friday. And given that he made the announcement today, maybe at some point yesterday, something, whatever, locked the decision into his into his mind. But nothing came out yesterday to change anything. And yet we've got like Cubs fans and Dodgers fans getting upset and angry. And, you know, Toronto fans are soaring until the news flips. And then the Jays fans are crashing. And all of a sudden now the some Cubs fans were dancing on, the you know, the sad tweets of the Blue Jays fans. And it's absolute nuts. And today was a weird reaction. So I, I had a unique little experience with it today. So this afternoon I took my youngest son and we went to go see my wife and my middle son in the musical Matilda in a production they're putting on here in Charlotte. And we went to see the play very good. They both did a fantastic job, but literally right at the start of intermission, as, as the lights are coming on for intermission, my phone buzzes, I take a look and that's when Shohei signed. So that was the announcement. So I had about five, 10 minutes. It was a 15 minute intermission, but I didn't want to spend the whole time on my phone. So I had about five or 10 minutes to kind of quickly flip through headlines and, you know, buzz through a couple quick stories, look at some tweets, see what people are saying about it. And I had my own reaction. And surprisingly, I think everything was kind of muted. I think the fact that the number got so big, you know, just made it a lot of Cubs fans, whether they believe it in their hearts or not saying, you know, I'm glad they didn't get Otani for that money. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm there. The amount you spend, there's no hard cap in baseball. So budgets are simply a team and owner decision. So the idea that the Cubs couldn't have done that and spent other money is not true. I mean, they could have. It would have been an ownership call. That said, even with the deferral I walked through earlier and pulling that average annual value down to a smaller number for the competitive balance tax, that's still... When the Cubs have a number of holes to fill, as great as Shohei Otani is, and I do truly believe he's going to get back to pitching next season, um, we'll see how long it takes him to get like his old stuff back. And maybe he's not doesn't come all the way back, but he's so good as a starting pitcher. A lot of guys have come back from two Tommy Johns. He'll have his impacts, and we'll, we'll see what version of himself he winds up being. But I do fully believe he's going to pitch again. 
So then you get that extra value. He's also the biggest star in this game globally, biggest star anywhere in this game. Arguably, when he's hitting and pitching, he's the best baseball player that's ever lived. I mean, he's doing things that even Babe Ruth didn't do, and Babe Ruth is the most famous two-way player ever. If you really go back and look through Babe Ruth's numbers, you'll see he was a really good pitcher and a really good hitter, but there were days he couldn't play because it was right after he pitched. And so like his playing time was less consistent. And then as he, after he got traded to, even before he got traded to the Yankees, his hitting was becoming so valuable. And it was, it was his hitting was so different than what everybody else in the game did. Like power was not such a big part of the game back then that he was such a unicorn. He became really became infinitely more valuable as a hitter than he was as a pitcher, even though he was still a good pitcher. He goes to New York and really very quickly they fade that pitching out. He did pitch occasionally here and there. I think for the first year or two he was there, he made a handful of starts each year. And then I think he had a couple bullpen appearances later in his career. But for the most part, when he went to the Yankees, he was full-time hitter. He's in that lineup batting third every day and just crushing baseballs into that short porch at Yankee Stadium. But even as valuable as Shohei is, the Cubs have a number of holes to fill. And even if... Tom Ricketts and Jed Hoyer agree that they're going to have a huge budget and they're going to spend a bunch of money. $70 million per season, however it is you defer money and play with that figure, that's still a lot of money to spend on one player. <clears throat> right now, and you know, let me go look at last season. I mean, there are teams that don't spend that on their entire payroll. And if I go look at last year's payrolls, from 2023, I'm on SpotTrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. That is one of the best places to go for salary breakdowns, luxury tax numbers, all that kind of stuff. So if I go and sort by luxury tax allocations, this differently. So when they do those calculations, what they're looking at is they're looking at your 26-man payroll, your active roster payroll. All the guys you have on categorized injured reserves, so the injured list. Retained salary, so that is the money. Like the Cubs paid Jason Hayward last year. Like the Cubs will be paying Trey Mancini and Tucker Barnhart this year. Any guys that you cut, you're still on the hook for their guaranteed money so that whatever's left on the, of their money continues to hit. Last year it was $23 million for Jason Hayward. This year it's right around $10 million combined for Mancini and uh, and uh Barnhart. And then you add um, buried salary. So that would be things like um, David Bodie's money. David Bodie has a major league guaranteed contract, but he spent all last year at AAA. He's going to have to spend one more year in the Cubs organization somewhere, or they could just cut him and eat the money. But that money is, it's called buried, but it still counts against the CBT. So last year, if we look at that, keep in mind that last year, the CBT threshold was $233 million. You know, the Mets obviously spent a ton of money, and by Spotrax estimations, they were at three hundred and forty-three million, or three, yeah, three hundred and forty-three million six hundred thousand in total payroll for the year. But if you go down to the bottom, the Oakland A's had a payroll of sixty-two million dollars, two hundred and sixty-three thousand. So, a touch over sixty-two million dollars for an entire team, and depending on how you do the math on Shohei Otani, he's going to get it. He's going to get $70 million effectively for next year. But however that deferred money works, he's going to get between 55 and $65 million against the cap. So they're going to be paying as much for Shohei Otani as the Oakland A's paid for their entire team last year. 
Baltimore wasn't too far ahead of that, being at 71 million. Part of that is them being tending to be cheap, but a lot of that is also that they are a very young team with a lot of young stars that have not hit arbitration yet, so they're they come very cheap. But there were, you know, so those are they were at 71 million, the Pirates were at about 75 and a half million, Tampa was at 79 million. So you look at those teams, those are four teams either paying less or not that much more than what the Dodgers are going to pay Shohei Otani. So that's a lot of money. Even if you're make, going to make a decision to have a huge budget. You know, if you're going to have a budget the size of the Mets and Otani's CBT impact is $60 million, you're still a little bit more than one-sixth of what the Mets paid on their entire team would be Shohei Otani, which is basically like probably two of the Mets' highest paid players if I go look at that from last year. So even though I really wanted the Cubs to get him, I can kind of live with the fact that they didn't. You know, even though, again, I'm not going to say that just became too much, that's insane. You know, the Dodgers are going to make a lot of money in international marketing having Shohei Otani. They're going to sell a lot of extra merchandise. It's going to help. It's going to help ticket sales. The ticket sales are usually pretty good anyway. But they're going to make a lot of money off Shohei Otani. So, you know, the Cubs would have done the same. It would have been an amazing thing to bring in, you know, when they now have the marquee direct to customer. You know, people all over this country could subscribe directly to Marquee's app or directly to Marquee, watch the app, and go. But it is still a lot of money to, to pay for one player. So, We'll see if we find out how high the Cubs went. The lowest I've seen them reportedly in for is $500 million. I've seen them from multiple sources up as high as, you know, 600 or a touch over. If if they were in that far, I'm satisfied. I wanted them to make a serious effort. You know, if I had found out that, oh, the Cubs offered, you know, seven years, $280 million or $320 million when everybody knew the, basically the starting sticker price was 500. Get, get out with that. Like, that's not a serious effort. But if they got up north of 550, they got up to 600, $600 million. That's a serious effort. And I'll, I'll, you know, give them credit for that. And so where to now? So the Cubs still have all these holes. One thing I've seen that's been a constant fan frustration is like, the Cubs haven't done anything. The Cubs haven't done anything there. And one thing I've seen repeatedly posted, and feel free to look if you wish. I mean, it, it's out there. But I've seen a lot of people pointing to like the fan graphs win projections for 2024 and showing that the Cubs are not in the top 15. Okay. I, it sort of makes some sense, but you have to put it in context. It's kind of a useless measure at this point because some teams are more complete than others. Like the Atlanta Braves, their whole lineup is extended for like the next 40 years with half the money deferred to the Braves Foundation. So the ability to project what they're going to do at this point of the offseason it's pretty good. Like they're probably looking for some additional pitching. They they made a couple trades today. I haven't had time to sit down and, and really evaluate. Basically, they took some of the um, guys they got in the Kellenic trade, or no, the the trade with Pittsburgh. I can't even keep them straight. Anyway, they've made a few trades. A couple of the guys they traded for, they've now flipped for other things. Max Stasi went to the White Sox today. I think that was for a player we named later in cash. But the core of their team is. Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies and Michael Harris the second and Spencer Strider and Matt Olson and on and on and on those guys. 
you get to the Cubs and you look at what the Cubs did last year and you can factor in like the Pythagorean record, which, you know, a lot of people will call BS on that. And, and I'm there to a point. I think the things like Pythagorean record give you some con context in terms of, okay, the Cubs won 83 games. Did they kind of over or underachieve? It kind of gives you that picture or it gives you some context, you know, okay, they got to 83. The Pythagorean said they should have won 74. Okay. They really overachieved to get to the 83. In the Cubs case, you know, the Pythagorean record said 91 wins. So they kind of underachieved, which I think, you know, we all saw that. We saw the team get tired down the stretch. We saw some guys get overused. We saw starters get hurt to some extent because of overuse. We saw a lot of relievers get hurt and lose effectiveness because of overuse because the bullpen was not deep enough. And part of it is the fact that they brought in Eric Hosmer, who they cut, Trey Mancini, who they cut, Tucker Barnhart, who they cut, Brad Boxberger, who barely pitched at all during the season. Yeah, it's a lot of wasted cash, honestly. And when the when the Cubs made moves at the deadline, I think it was very clear that the Cubs were going to stay under the CBT last season because they didn't want the repeater penalty this year when they were theoretically going to go in after Shohei Otani and some other big names. It kind of made sense. But basically what happened, because they spent some of that money and because they, frankly, wasted some of that money, they were able to get Jose Quas at the trade deadline. And that, and Jamer Candelario, which is a good pickup, but in terms of bullpen help, they were kind of limited to Jose Quas because that number put them like right up at the number. And if I look at the Cubs number from last year, again, I'm still on spot track. They came in... I guess the final calculations aren't aren't done, but because there are a bunch of other things that go into it. There, there are some benefits for players that get calculated in, some tax things, um, some buried salaries in the minor leagues, that kind of thing. Some minor league cost of guys that are on the 40-man. And the Cubs didn't ultimately have to pay a tax, so they came in under. But they came in really probably just under within a few, a few thousand dollars of the 233. You know, if they didn't, Signed Trey Mancini, or they didn't sign. No, Hosmer didn't make that much. He made a league minimum, but you know if they didn't sign a couple of those guys, and were a little bit more efficient with their dollars early in the season, maybe they could have gotten one more reliever. But like that's how things stand. So when the Cubs are looking at this, no matter what they're going to spend, you know, we'll see what their budget winds up being. I kind of lost my train of thought there, so apologies. This is. Uh, an episode I'm kind of putting together on the fly as a reaction to the Shohei Otani stuff. But there have been a lot of people frustrated that the Cubs hadn't made moves, that Jed Hoyer is kind of asleep at the wheel. And what I obviously don't think that's true. There have been a lot of reports of Jed and Carter talking to a lot of teams about trade possibilities, signings. But you know, kind of when, when the fan base kind of went negative when Shohei Otani was looking to go to, to Toronto, and I've seen a little bit more of it this afternoon, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to stay positive. You know, you kind of get yourself geared up, especially yesterday, even though nothing really ever changed. It kind of felt like there was new hope, like there was a, maybe a new shot at Shohei Otani. And you kind of get up there and you kind of get disappointed today with the announcement. But I think it's, you know, 700 million and it's the Dodgers. Like the Dodgers were always the favorite. That was always the predicted place that he was going to go. But now, it, you know, I see people kind of freaking out, like we're not going to get anybody. And the reality is because everything was on hold for Shohei, 
you know, the top people on the market, the top trade targets are all still there. You know, Cody Bellinger was not going to sign before Shohei Otani because any team that was chasing Shohei Otani and didn't get him, they're probably going to be part of the target audience that chases Bellinger at that point. I mean, Scott Boris knows this game. That's his agent. And they were going to wait and maximize the market, maximize the number of teams they could get bidding against each other and get that price up. Same thing with the race. The Dodgers have reportedly been in on Glasnow as well. There are probably some other teams in there. For Bellinger, you know, the Yankees were rumored to be in there, but Juan Soto, they did wind up trading for Juan Soto. And, you know, the Juan Soto is kind of the, the counter to the argument I just made. So I said that a lot of these teams were holding because they want to drive that price up. Well, when the Yankees traded that many players, it was four of their top young pitching arms, Michael King, who's in the major leagues, a good young pitcher. The trade, the, the package that they sent San Diego was really largely surprising, I think, to a lot of baseball. It was certainly surprising to me. It was They got way more than I would have thought. I've seen some comps. You know, If the Cubs had made that trade, it would have been including Ben Brown, Jordan Wicks, Hayden Wisniewski, plus you know, in that deal. And that it's a lot to give up, as, as good as Juan Soto is, and he's on a, clearly on a Hall of Fame track. You're getting him for one season. The trade is for one year. You know, the In Major League Baseball, they don't do sign-in trades. So you can't pre-arrange an extension. and make, You have to make the trade and then hope you sign him. And it's a Scott Boris client, and Juan Soto has already turned down, I think it was a $450 million extension offer from the Nationals when he was 24, the season before he was traded, or he was 23 at the time, before he was traded to San Diego. So the odds of him... Signing any kind of you know team friendly extension after a deal is just not happening. So that was a big price to give up. But I think what happened was San Diego was talking to a lot of teams. There were rumors that the Cubs were talking to them about Soto, and I think the plan all along had been to wait till Otani was gone, see what all the totality of the offers were, and then make a choice. And I think basically the Yankees' offer got so big, and I think the Yankees were pressing hard to get the deal done fast. And I think San Diego basically said, you know, if you want us to do it before we know the full audience for this trade, the price is going to be high. And New York said, let's go. So, you know, they made that deal happen. But no matter how you're feeling right now about the Cubs off season and you know, feel how you want to feel, we all have our different reactions to this. All of the targets, except for Juan Soto and now Shohei Otani, that the Cubs have been rumored to be after or were largely on people's wish lists are all still out there. Yoshinobu Yamamoto has not signed. Cody Bellinger has not signed. Tyler Glasnow has not been traded. Shane Bieber has not been traded. A number of young pitchers from the Miami Marlins have been rumored to be traded. They're all still Marlins. Matt Chapman, the third baseman from the Blue Jays, he's not yet signed. Reese Hoskins, first baseman for the Phillies who missed all of last year after tearing his ACL, he's still unsigned. You know, I've seen some rumors about maybe Gabe Kepler being traded from Minnesota or... J.D. Martinez, who was the Dodgers' D.H. last year, he doesn't have a job now. Shohei Otani is their D.H., so he's available. Another pitcher from Japan, Shota Imanaga, he's still available. Now, he probably won't sign until after Yamamoto. I think that, you know, as you kind of stack these up, um, similar effects. You know, <clears throat> Otani was the big dog. He's gone. Now, Yamamoto is probably the big dog. Certainly, as far as pitchers go, he's the top dog at this point. The one guy who signed early and got out was Aaron Nola, but I mean, he stayed with Philly, so... They were able to extend him for seven years, and I forget the amount of money. 
but so the Cubs have a lot of targets still here. And as I've said all along, and a number of other people have said too, I mean, this isn't rocket surgery. The Cubs have a lot of paths to improve this team. It wasn't Shohei Otani or Bust. <clears throat> and they have some variance in the guys that are here. You know, is this the year that Pico Armstrong becomes the starting center fielder? And if he, if it is that year, how does he play? Is he the guy that we saw overmatched for 19 whole plate appearances at the end of last season and some weird playing time under playoff pressure? Or does he do what he's done in the past and comes up to a level, has a brief adjustment period, and then thrives? You know, if he thrives, he could be National League Rookie of the Year like Corbin Carroll was this year. What happens at first base? Like, do they go get Reese Hoskins? Do they make some other moves somewhere else and maybe give Matt Mervis a shot at first base or DH. You know, Matt Mervis, I think a lot of people are kind of down on him and I can see it both ways. Like he, he did have his struggles when he came up last year, but he only got a hundred plate appearances. So that's not a lot. Plenty of guys have struggled and then eventually figured it out at the major league level. He didn't get any more chances to figure it out. All he did was crush minor league pitching until he came up. He had his struggles, although I've said this before, he was hitting the ball hard the last week or so before he was sent down. He was having some good play appearances. Once he went down, he continued to crush baseballs. You know, he put up really good numbers in Iowa. Does he get a shot? Or are one of those guys traded? You know, Christopher Morrell is playing a lot of third base in the Dominican Republic in Lydom for the Aguilas. So do the Cubs give him a shot at third base? You know, his bat, what, we, what we've seen the last basically season and a half of him in the major leagues is a guy who has a ton, ton of power. He's improved his plate discipline. He's improved the walk rate. He's reduced the K rate a little bit. He still strikes out too much. But when he hits, man, he hits hard. And he's had some special moments. So what does he do? Do, do they continue to use him at DH? He's, he's athletic enough with a really strong arm. So I think you'd love to find him a position. Craig Council said as much, you know, that he really should be in the lineup every day. Not quite sure where he's going to play. I would love to see him, you know, get a shot at third base. I know I've gone back and forth on Matt Chapman. He is a good baseball player. He is an elite defensive third baseman. So if the Cubs signed him between him, Swanson, and Horner, they would now have a pretty elite defensive infield, which certainly helps because the pitching staff is still a lot of pitch-to-contact type pitchers. Matt Chapman offensively does not have that high of a ceiling. He's he's a good hitter, and if the Cubs get him, he improves that position over what they had there last year, without question. But the question is, what's he going to get? You know, if the, if the Cubs get him on a two or three year contract, I'm in. Let's do it. Starts being five, six, seven, maybe not. And I think I've gone over this before, but like the Cubs are in a position where they have a really good farm system. It's pretty consensus top five in baseball, and a lot of those guys are starting to get to the double A, triple A level. And really, once a guy's at double A, if he's having success, having success, he's within shot of coming up to the bigs. He really is. We saw Christopher Morrell do that. We've seen a number of guys do that. You know, once you once you're in double A, you can come up, and if you thrive, you'll stick. So with Matt Shaw, James Triantos, who Triantos was the AFL, the Arizona Fall League MVP. You know, Matt Shaw was the Cubs' number one draft pick last season, and he tore his way up through the minor leagues, ending the season at double-A. Now, it's not a huge number of plate appearances. I think it's a big enough sample size to not be fluke. But the question is, like, is that who he is, or was he just on a tear? 
So I'm, he's not going to start the season in Chicago. But if he continues to tear up the first half of the season next year, you know, he's he's in play or he's in play the year after that. So the idea that we have some of those gloves coming up and clo- getting close to the bigs and maybe locking up that third base position for five, six years is not great because now there's no place for that cheap talent to go. And the, one of the big pluses of having young controlled talent is that you have very good players that are pre-arb or in their arbitration year. So they're necessarily cheaper than they would be on the open market. So you get quality performers at a cheap price, which theoretically allows you to go out and spend some money on some other stars. Maybe, you know, you want to have guys kind of churning through coming up or coming in as free agents, guys leaving. So you always have a couple spots to replace and improve yourself year over year. So ideally, you know, the Cubs would always have a good young core of that talent that they can rely on at a cheap cost, whether it's, you know, filling out the bench or the bullpen, maybe the back end of the starting rotation. Ideally, you would create a couple of your own superstars, develop your own superstars. Maybe Kate Horton is that guy on the pitching side. Maybe Pete Crow Armstrong will become a star. But short of that, having those guys and having a number of those guys make up maybe half of your team or better leaves you some leeway to go spend some big contracts. And so the Cubs have a lot of paths to this. They could go Reese Hoskins and Chapman, just go for those two. They could go for some, you know, Jorge Soler is another guy I've heard talked about. Like he could come, he was probably not a Cub target if the Cubs got Otani. Obviously the Cubs didn't. I don't know where he sits on their radar, but he's another guy. We've seen him in Chicago. He's a DH now. Like that's pretty much all he does. Um, he was, he could play outfield. He has a strong arm, but he was just racking up leg injuries all the time. He can come in DH, have a bunch of power. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And he's not going to be that expensive relatively compared to, you know, some other guys on the market. So we'll see. Um, We'll see how this goes. Now we should see things start to move. It doesn't mean that because Otani signed today, we're going to see 15 players all signed tonight. But you know, teams have been talking and, you know, having an idea where things stand. And now that, you know, Shohei's gone, the target's going to move. You know, we'll see. There seems to be some consensus out there that Cody Bellinger is going to maybe not sign, hold out a while, see, you know, see what they can do to draw more and more offers. At some point, some teams will bail and go in other directions if it's holding too long. Some speculation you might wait till January or February. We'll see. I think now, you know, it's December 8th today. I think we'll see, or December 9th, sorry. We'll see, I think, a good number of, a good amount of activity over the next like 10 days. As we start getting to like December 20th, getting into the holiday season, I think there'll be a bit of a break. Some things may still happen, but not quite the crush. And then after the first of the year, the rest of the guys who haven't signed are going to want to start figuring it out, figuring out where they're going to be, getting down to spring training complexes early, all that sort of thing. So I'm hopeful over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot more activity and, you know, a couple big moves and we might have a pretty clear idea where the Cubs are going to go. Or if a number of these guys do start coming off the board and the Cubs don't have any of them, that would start to be when maybe I get suspicious and or not suspicious, but start getting down on this off season. At this point, I'm just trying to keep, keep myself to neutral, right? I mean, I think the move to get Craig council says they're going to try to improve this team, but in order to improve the team, they have to go get guys. And there's been a lot of talk. I think there's interest in glass. Now I think there's interest in Bieber. I think there's interest in Hoskins and Chapman and Bellinger. We'll just see what they do, how long they sign guys for, and then what some of these guys go for, you know, if, I don't know, 
if Matt Chapman signs a 10-year contract somewhere, I don't want him, the Cubs to sign him for that. You know, Reese Hoskins, apparently the Cubs have been in talks with him on one-year deals and multi-year deals. And I'm, I'm not sure which way he would want to go. He might want to pull like what Bellinger did last year, you know, come, show he's back from injury, show he's healthy, play one year, maybe have a mutual option for year two like Bellinger did. And ideally in his case, he would want to show that he's healthy, have a big season, put up his, you know, he's got a career 127 WRC plus with good power numbers, like go hit 35 homers, put up a good season, then go hit free agency again. He might want to do that. Or he might decide that, you know, he's into his thirties now, he's coming off a leg injury. Maybe he does want to just go get that. You know, I, I don't know that he would get more than five years. You know, he might be looking at maybe like a three or four year deal, maybe with some incentives or some options, but we'll see what kind of deal he wants. So it's some of this too, you know, obviously is directed by the player. The player has a say in this too. The Cubs could come with the most money and the player may still want to play somewhere else, or the player may want a certain kind of contract and that may or may not match what the Cubs want to do. So we'll see how this happens. I think at this point, I'm going to try to stay away from the negativity. Um, I'm disappointed that Shohei is gone. I think that contract is just fascinating. And I'm really interested to see where the final numbers settle, how much they deferred, what the actual tax hit's going to be. We'll learn more of that. But I really hope over the next week or so, hopefully by the next time I record, the Cubs have a couple additions to talk about. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!